Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. Once you have found it, if you are able, I'd invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when sentinels will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. With a little bit of joy this morning, this is the word of God. And you may be seated. Lord Jesus, we say thank you this morning for inviting us to worship you. We say thank you for the way in which your truth has already been proclaimed and embraced and sung and received this morning. We say thank you, Lord Jesus, for getting up that Sunday so long ago that we uh, would live as a hopeful people in our day. We ask now that you would be our preacher, our interpreter, and our transformer, uh, that we would leave this place more and more like the people you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. From Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 1 through 6, I'll preach from the title, Resurrection Begins in the Wilderness. Is anybody going to help me preach this morning? Resurrection Begins in the Wilderness. What do you imagine when you hear the word wilderness? Most of us Chicagoans haven't spent a whole lot of time in actual wilderness situations. But we know what wilderness feels like, don't we? The people the prophet Jeremiah wrote to weren't in an actual wilderness either. They had been sent into exile by Babylon, the superpower of its day. But while this generation wasn't wandering around a real desert, their ancestors had. And the memory of that wilderness echoes through these verses. That generation had been freed from Egyptian captivity before spending decades wandering the wilderness, being rescued from the captivities of their own minds and hearts. Now, many years later, their descendants were living through their own wilderness experience as they longed for liberation from Babylon. Through Jeremiah, God promised to care for his people in the wilderness like he did for their ancestors. What have your experiences of wilderness felt like? No one wilderness experience is the same as any other, is it? The wilderness of a breakup feels different than the wilderness of addiction. The wilderness of loneliness feels different than the wilderness of poverty. The wilderness of debt feels different than the wilderness of doubt. But there is one thing that is absolutely common to any bona fide wilderness experience, and it is this. 
we want to leave the wilderness as soon as possible. I have yet to have a wilderness experience where I thought, now this is where I want to live. <laughs> I'm going to get comfortable here. I'm going to sink down roots here. I'm going to build a foundation and, and build a home and stay in this wilderness. Never. And as reasonable as the get out of wilderness ASAP response is, it is also a problem. Because fixating on getting through our time of trouble as quickly as possible causes us to miss God's promise. Did you hear it in these verses? You will find favor. Where? In the wilderness. And friends, on this Resurrection Sunday... This promise is far more than a platitude. Because if Jesus' goal had been to escape the wilderness of his suffering and death, none of us would know the favor of his resurrection. So here's what I pray we will celebrate this morning. Resurrection begins in the wilderness. Resurrection begins in the wilderness for a couple of reasons. Resurrection begins in the wilderness because God enters the wilderness and because God brings life from the wilderness. Resurrection begins in the wilderness because God enters the wilderness. The people receiving this message for the first time, as I said, were in an exile situation. Their capital city, Jerusalem, had been destroyed. The walls were torn down. Even worse, the temple was obliterated. The temple, that place that signified they were the people of God, that place where heaven and earth overlapped, that that place where they knew that God was with them and for them, gone. For all intents and purposes, there was no evidence that God was present to them. They were in the wilderness. Who are we, they must have asked, without our land, the land God had promised us? Who are we without the temple? Are we still God's people? Is God still with us? There are echoes, as I said, of the post-Egyptian wilderness that their ancestors had gone through. You can imagine them wandering through the desert. How did we get here? This is not what we expected. I heard something about milk and honey. I heard something about a land being given to us. But now we're out and exposed and vulnerable. Was it actually God who rescued us? Or should we go back to Egypt? Nobody wants to stay in the wilderness. Because the wilderness feels God forsaken. On March 27th, a shooter walked into a school in Nashville and killed three students and three teachers. And as a result, hundreds of students began protesting at the state capitol in Tennessee, even as the legislators refused to debate meaningful gun legislation. So then a week ago, three representatives, Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, And Gloria Johnson had had enough. And so they interrupted the floor debate with their own protest. 
And interestingly, though the legislature couldn't find time to actually debate meaningful gun legislation, they had no trouble very quickly stripping these three representatives of their committee assignments. And then on Thursday, expelling two of the three. Leaving thousands of people in Nashville and Memphis with no representation. In this one story, we have another preventable school massacre, elected officials refusing to protect their most vulnerable constituents, the expulsion of two black representatives, and the disenfranchisement of thousands of citizens. Pick just one of these details. Trace its long and ugly ancestry through our nation's history. And you will find the echoes of racialized violence and white supremacist power which continue to reverberate in this land. Friends, that's the wilderness. Why is this still happening? Why in 2023 do these same old songs keep repeating themselves? Where are you, God? The wilderness doesn't have to always be so big. How come I can't ever get ahead? Will this pain ever go away? Will our family ever be reconciled? How am I going to pay for my child's college? How will I make it after my parents' death? Implicit in every one of our wilderness questions is, God, where are you? And so it ought to be a little jarring in our passage. When Jeremiah, on behalf of God, says to the exiled people, you will find favor in the wilderness. I will come. It's oil and water. The wilderness is the place of God-forsakenness. How is it that God will be encountered in the wilderness? And yet this is exactly God's promise to his people. I am with you, even in Babylon. I am with you, even when you are thousands of miles from home. I am with you, even when the walls of your city have been torn down. Even when the temple itself has been destroyed, I am with you in the wilderness. You are still my people. I still claim you. I still love you. And, and in a way, this is, this is a little taste, a little foreshadowing of what we find in Jesus's life. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is baptized by his cousin, John. And then Mark chapter four tells us that at once the spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness. Notice that Jesus didn't stumble into the wilderness. Jesus wasn't going home to Nazareth and and, and got confused and turned around and just found himself in the wilderness. Jesus didn't get scared of something and run off to hide in the wilderness. The wilderness was not an accident. The wilderness is where God wanted Jesus to be. The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To put Satan on notice. To confront the devil 
Again, as a foreshadowing of something which would come three years later. When Jesus entered another wilderness. Again, not an actual wilderness, but rather the, the wilderness of sin and suffering and sickness. The wilderness of injustice and evil and wickedness. Jesus, in other words, entered our wilderness. The wilderness of our situation and our circumstances and our experiences. It is though we were wandering through our own wilderness situations when who should appear but the Son of God. Jesus entered our wilderness. And on the cross, he puts to death everything that would separate us from our creator God. In other words, Jesus stole the power of the wilderness. Because none of us can ever believe that the wilderness is a place of God forsakenness. Because God entered our wilderness. Friends, if Jesus entered the wilderness of humanity's collective sin, of the devil's most cunning scheme, and of the desolation of death itself, then which of your wilderness experiences will he not enter? Depression? Anxiety? Sickness? Heartbreak? Is shame too great of a wilderness? Is addiction too comprehensive of a wilderness? Is fear too strong of a wilderness? Is mental illness too pervasive of a wilderness? Is your regret too much of a wilderness? For the Son of God who entered the wilderness by choosing the cross. So what does it feel like? When God enters the wilderness, you see what the text says? I will come to give rest to Israel. I think that's fascinating. The text does not say, I will come to make you more moral people. I will come to make you more ethical people. I will come to help you get your act together. I will come to give you rest. Can a few people be honest this morning and say, I could use some rest. The author of Hebrews writes, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The Sabbath rest. You see, you and I tend to think of salvation as something on the other side of the wilderness. I've got to get out of the wilderness to find my salvation. I've got to get out of the wilderness to find my healing. I've got to get out of the wilderness to have my family put back together. I've got to get out of this wilderness of of poverty or death. I've got to get out of my wilderness in order to experience my salvation. But when, Old Testament scholars in the room, did God give his people the gift of Sabbath? Was it once they got to the promised land? Was it once they had their act together? Was it once they stopped worshiping false idols? God gave the gift of Sabbath rest to his people in the wilderness. When God enters the wilderness, when God enters your wilderness, it feels like rest. kind of rest do you need today? What kind of rest does your situation require today? 
What kind of rest do you need to to stay rooted even in the wilderness? Ask Jesus for that rest. That's a harder prayer request than we might want to acknowledge because because we want to pray that Jesus gets us out of the wilderness. Uh, But what if the Holy Spirit has led you into the wilderness? What if the Spirit of God has you in the wilderness for a reason? What, what, what if you're in the wilderness for a purpose beyond your comprehension today? What if you will only understand why you're in the wilderness five years from now, ten years from now? So could we pray instead of God, get me out of here as soon as possible, would you give me rest? Would you give me rest in the wilderness? And you can be specific with God. God, this is the kind of rest I need. This is what rest I require. How do we know that God wants to honor that request? Because he's there in the wilderness with you. You're not praying to a God a long ways away. You're not praying to a God who doesn't know anything about your wilderness experience. You're praying to the God who has entered your wilderness with you. God, give me rest in the wilderness. Resurrection begins in the wilderness because God has entered our wilderness experiences. And then resurrection begins in the wilderness because God brings life from the wilderness. He doesn't just enter your wilderness situation. God brings life from the wilderness. Some of you are like, yeah, that's right. Amen. Absolutely. God brings me spiritual life. God brings life to my heart. God gives me a, a, new, a new song to sing in my heart. Amen, amen, amen. But let's not neglect the text this morning. Let's see what kind of life God brings from the wilderness. The text says that again, you will, in my translation, take up your timbrels and go out to dance with the joyful. You know what timbrels are? They're like little things you are sewn into your clothes, little, you know, chimes and bells. And so that you just walking around an instrument, just praising God with your clothes, just, just moving. That's the, that's the picture of the life that comes uh, from the wilderness. It's the psalmist saying, you've turned my morning into dancing. You've taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Here's what else life out of the wilderness looks like. The farmers will plant vineyards and enjoy their fruit. Any farmers in the room today? All right, so, so we think, of course, you plant it, you get to eat it. But throughout history and in our own country today, that's actually not how farming usually works. To, to be a farmer, even in this day, in this country, is to barely make it most of the time. It is to be one bad season away from losing your entire farm to the bank. It has actually been common always for farmers to grow the food and then not benefit from what they've grown. And what does the text say? That when God brings life from the wilderness, those who tend the soil, those who sow the crops, those who reap the crops will benefit from them, will enjoy the of their land. And, and then finally, what does it look like for life to come from the wilderness? Watchmen cry out, 
come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Sentinels on the wall. Picture a, a watchtower or, or a, a, a wall with a, with a group of, of soldiers on top, keeping a lookout. What are they looking for? They're looking for the enemy. They're looking for the attack. Their job is to protect their people from enemy attack. But that's not what's happening anymore. They're not looking for the enemy any longer. They're not in a a, a defensive posture any longer. What are they doing now? They're calling the people to worship. They're calling the nation to worship. They're calling the people to ascribe glory and honor and praise to their God. So, yes, new life looks like peace in your own heart. Amen. Amen. But what the text tells us, what the text tells us is that new life from the wilderness includes personal joy. Somebody say joy. It looks like societal justice. Say justice. And it looks like community worship. Say worship. Joy, justice, and worship is the vision of the life God brings out of the wilderness. Can you picture it? Let's break it down just for a second. Let's look at joy. You see, when we think about the three of these through the lens of the, of the empty tomb, we, we see how Jesus has brought these for us. Because as a result of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, nothing can keep you from the love of God. There is no sin, no addiction, no wilderness experience any longer that can keep you from the love of God. Jesus says, you were like a lost coin <laughs> that, 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 that a woman wanted so badly to have that she ripped her house apart looking for it. See, I'm the opposite. We have some company coming over today. I just, you know, slide everything into the closet. Th- th- this woman, she wanted the coin so badly, she's tearing everything apart. And then she finds it and she rejoices. She tells everybody, I have found my lost coin. You were lo- like a lost child. Who went off to the far country, abandoning your family. And the father stands every day at the side of the property, looking down the road for a glimpse. And then he sees just a speck on the horizon and throwing all dignity and honor to the wind. He hitches up his road and runs down the lane to embrace the lost child. Nothing Nothing can keep you away from the love of God. When Jesus rose from the grave, it was God's forever rebuke to everything that would deceive or destroy you. Everything that would capture or consume you. And when we see this, man, let me get out my my timbrel clothes. Uh, let, let, Let me put on the clothes that just can't help but rejoice and sing and praise because this is what God has done for me cannot help but have joy, not on the other side of the wilderness, but even in the wilderness. And the new life involves societal justice. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 about Jesus' resurrection. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. The powers and the authorities that Paul is writing about are what we might call sin-infected systems. In other words, Jesus on the cross has triumphed over legislatures which prioritize gun rights over human rights. Jesus has triumphed over 
corporations who placate greedy shareholders by recruiting and exploiting child workers. Over criminal justice systems which continue to send people to death row knowing full well that people, innocent people, are being killed on a regular basis. Jesus triumphs over our educational bureaucracy which works wonderfully for a handful of privileged children while making learning absurdly difficult for so many other. Jesus triumphs over developers who know full well the gentrifying and displacing impact of their so-called urban renewal projects. We could go on, couldn't we? Jesus resurrects in power over all of the principalities and the powers. The resurrection of Jesus makes a spectacle of this world's greedy and corrupt powers. The resurrection exposes their ultimate impotence. If death could not overcome Jesus then I promise you, neither can racist legislatures, greedy corporations, corrupt courts, unfair school districts, or disruptive developers. Resurrection guarantees that our unjust status quo is doomed. (laughs) Its days are numbered. Thank you, Brent, for helping me preach this morning. By the end of it, a couple of you are going to help Brent out. Finally, new life includes community worship. You see, when Jesus got up from the grave, he stepped over everything and everybody that claimed your worship. You were made to worship. As an image bearer of the living God, you were made to find your highest purpose in bringing glory to God through your work, your rest, your relationships, your hobbies, everything. But sin warped those desires so that rather than worshiping our creator, we worshiped created things, which can never fulfill us and always end up making us captives. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been freed from captivity to false worship. So our hearts are free to worship God again. So we are... The watchmen and the watchwomen on the wall. See, see, we used to have our defenses up. We, we used to have to defend ourselves from the stuff that was out there. We used to have to always be on guard for the false gods and the false lords and the false idols and the false loyalties and the false allegiances that were trying to steal our worship. But when Jesus got out of the grave, he stepped over All of those things, all of those idols, all of those ideologies. So we don't have to stand on the wall any longer in a defensive posture. Amen. Instead, we get to stand on the wall open and vulnerable to the worship of God. We get to stand on the wall and live into our God ordained purpose to bring glory and honor and praise to God in everything that we do. God's new life from the wilderness looks like personal joy, social justice, and community worship. So again, what sort of wilderness are you in today? Be honest. Not only does God enter our wilderness experiences, God brings new life from them. If you're living in denial 
about the wilderness that you're in, you are missing the way that God wants to bring new life from your wilderness. If you're walking around acting like everything's okay, acting like you're just fine, you are missing the new life that God wants to bring from your situation. What wilderness are you in? What new life is God bringing through you right now? What joy has been made available to you? Can I, can I tell the truth for a minute? We live in a cynical age. And I know we have all been through some stuff. And for some of us, we have relegated joy to an occasional luxury. But if God has entered your wilderness, and if God through the resurrected Jesus is bringing new life from your wilderness, then joy is your birthright. Joy is your inheritance. You do not have to get through that thing. We don't have to get through this season for you to claim the joy that is already yours. Where is God bringing social justice through you in the wilderness? How does God want to use you to advance his cause of righteousness And justice and peace. How is God calling worship out of you? A position and posture of openness and vulnerability to who God made you to be. If you are living defensively. You're robbing the rest of us of your worship. We need your worship. And your worship doesn't have to look like mine. But the people of God need your worship. And I don't just mean on Sunday mornings when we're all singing and praising. We need it then too. But we need your worship on Monday when you go to work. And you are worshiping God through the work that God has called you to do. And in your family, when, 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 when you are loving and caring for, for the people God has given you to care for. And with your neighbors, and you, you get what I'm saying. We need your worship. Somebody here today might be like, I, I want that. I want that new life. It's, it's possible that, that you've never had the opportunity to say, actually, that sounds pretty good. Actually, I'm tired of trying to make it through the wilderness on my own. Actually, I'm exhausted of trying to do this thing on my own. Here's the good news. The grave is empty. Whether you do anything about it or not, the cross is empty, whether you do it, which is to say that God's invitation is open always and forever. We simply say yes to the saving grace of Jesus in our lives. We simply acknowledge the fact that we can't make it through the wilderness on our own. That's it. Resurrection brings life from the wilderness. Hey, worship, uh, Ben, you come on up, please.
Resurrection begins in the wilderness. As Jesus' tortured body was lifted onto the cross, hands and nails, hands and ankles nailed fast, every one of his followers entered their own wilderness. John's gospel tells us that Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary his mother stood together at the foot of his cross. Can you imagine for just a second what sort of desolation stretched before them as they watched their beloved breathe his last breath? Peter, James, and John, the disciples Jesus had most closely mentored and taught, had each dissolved into the night as Jesus was dragged away. What depths of shame did they expect would consume them for the rest of their lives? Calvary's blood-soaked ground was its own kind of wilderness outside of the city marked for death. But no one who knew and loved Jesus was untouched by a vast wilderness stretching out as far as their eye could see. With their Savior snatched from them, these women and men must have just assumed the rest of my life is going to be lived in this wilderness, in this wasteland. This is my reality now. But we wouldn't be here this morning if the wilderness had the last word. Amen? Amen. On that Friday night, it seemed as though the devil had won. On that Friday night, sin looked victorious. On that Friday night, death's perfect record appeared unbeatable. On that Friday night, as Jesus' body was wrapped in burial clothes and laid in the tomb, it seemed as though the wilderness of our separation from God would consume everything and everybody for all time. But, but that unholy trinity of sin, death, and the devil must have forgotten that resurrection begins in the wilderness. Because Friday night was not our end. It was just the beginning of our rebirth. From Friday's wasteland came a Sunday surprise for all time. Because here's the thing. Graves are supposed to stay closed. And dead people, they're always supposed to stay dead. And the wilderness, by its very definition, is always supposed to be barren and desolate. And marginalized and oppressed people are always supposed to be forgotten. And worn down and exhausted people are always supposed to be left behind. And depressed and discouraged people are always supposed to be discarded. And sinners and rebels like us are always supposed to be condemned. But like the old preachers like to say, early on Sunday, one grave opened up. And early on Sunday, one man got up. And because he did... 
because Jesus shook off the stench of sin and the weight of death and the schemes of the devil because Jesus got up on that Sunday morning and made a mockery of this world's principalities and powers and a, and a spectacle over every system of domination and exploitation because Jesus got up. There is now no wilderness so barren or so desolate as to be beyond God's capacity to bring resurrection. Somebody tell me if that's good news this morning. Are you stuck wandering some kind of wilderness today? Look to the cross of Christ and find that God has entered your wilderness. He's there with you, for you today. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. And whatever desert kind of place you found yourself in, look to the empty tomb this morning as evidence that there is no wilderness so abandoned, so vast, so dead, that God cannot bring life from it. I wonder if this is good news to anybody this morning. I wonder if anybody would open their mouths for just a minute this morning. I wonder if anybody would need to to stand to your feet this morning and praise your God just for a minute this morning. That God has been with you in the wilderness. That there's nowhere you've ever been that you've been on your own. That you never have been forsaken even when you felt forsaken. I wonder if anybody could testify today, could open your mouths and praise and worship this morning that God has brought resurrection from the lifeless places of your life, that God has brought new life from the dead places of your life, that there is nothing in your life so dead, so gone, so over, so old, that God will not bring resurrection from it this morning. Can we thank our God this morning? Can we praise our God this morning? Can we lift him up this morning? He is good. He is alive. He has risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.